Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. How are you all? My husband just told me not to rush, so I walked slowly. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Linnea Barlow, for those of you who do not know me. Um, I have the privilege of the 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. service pastor here. And um, as I was getting ready this morning, I just felt to honor both you, Daz and Braun, for your leadership throughout all this madness that has been going on in the world and just your humility and generosity that is so pure and I would just how you never make anything about you. And so I just wanted to thank you for that, and we appreciate you, and we love you. So I'm just going to pray, and then we have a lot to cover. So get on your seatbelt, click, and your pen, and we're going to get started. Lord, we need you. Help us, God, as we look at your word. You speak to us all the time, God. Help our hearts to be open to what it is that you might say. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been going through the book of First John, and we're going to continue in chapter 3, a beautiful, beautiful book talking about so many different things. And so we're going to start, and I'm going to break it down by a few passages of time, and we're going to do it that way. So here we go. Uh, verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So immediately we are told to see. We're told to see. And the root word of, of seeing is to properly stare at with our eyes and with our mind. What a gift it is to be adopted into God's family. There's exclamation points after some of those sentences, which would refer us to be excited and to celebrate means that we have God's love lavished on us and that we are his children. This is something that we should not take for granted. Do you ever do this? Do you ever take being a child of God for granted? That a holy God is not ashamed to be called our father and for us to be his sons and his daughters. We also see in this passage that we're different than the world, that there is an us and there is a them, that there are those that are um, from the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. And one looks vastly different than the other. We know that the one who ends up winning, amen, thank you, Jesus, but we are sent to be ambassadors. We are not to get too comfortable while we're here on this earth. So verse three, verse three, in this present time now, we are told that we are children of God now. But we will have to wait to be perfected. Darn. That stinks. Wish I didn't have to wait for that. But something so important to note is that we will never, ever, ever, ever have his deity. We will never be God. And that is something as Christians that we should always be reminded of. But we will be pure. That we will have glory. And that we will have um, honor and power. And that we will be transformed. And the Bible says that we will look like Christ. Colossians 3, 4 says that when Christ, your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. And so something to note is that this is not a day for us to fear. This is a day for us as God's children to have confidence. And so we should have confidence as we stand and expect for God to come. But those who do not know him, they'll, they'll see Jesus, the same Jesus, but they will see a different side of him. They'll see the terror of his majesty, and they'll see the power of his wrath. And that is something that you and I do not have to face. So jumping into verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Woo, lots in there, lots in there. Okay, verse four, the law that, God, that John is talking about is the divine law. So when, we, when those who are breaking the law and having lawlessness, it is to live in complete rejection to a life of peace, saying, I don't want a life of peace. I don't want to live for the good of the world and rational nature. It's saying, I'm going to knowingly and violate and disobey. Verse five, we know that Jesus appeared so that he may take away our sins, so that we know that we know that we know that he came under this law. Um, and lived it to perfection. And one commentary says that he um, came under the curse of the law so that you and I would no longer live with guilt. So often when we break laws, we feel guilt or we should. If you receive a ticket, a speeding ticket, you break a law. And if you get caught, like Luke, where's Luke? Gone, no, Luke, Luke, Luke Hawes, he's here. There he is. He gave me my first speeding ticket in Australia. Thank you, Luke. So I got caught, and I got a ticket. There was a consequence, right? And I did feel guilty, but I was heading to Armadale, so I was late. I was learning how to drive, okay, on the other road. Thank you, Luke. You'll never live it down. But there's a consequence, right? And, and, and God, Jesus came to take away the original nature of sin in our lives and to give us a new nature. And we must always remember that he is the one who has no sin. Verse 6, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. That's a bit weird. I sin a lot. I've probably, I think I did this morning. Um, an interesting statement when verse 4 says that everyone who sins breaks law. But we have this confidence that 1 John 2, 1 says that I, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate who sits on the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So righteousness, what does it mean to be righteous? Verse 7, to be righteous is to be morally right and justifiable. It means to live right. And living this way looks like Christ. Verse 8, the devil had been tempting man from the beginning in the garden and wanted to bring others along with him to go against 
God. So Jesus was sent, thank you Jesus, in order to destroy the work of the enemy, death on this earth to completion, and that has been his mission from day one and what he is still doing through you and I today. And one day he'll completely destroy the plans on this earth. And then we get to verse nine. It's one of my favorites that we get to break down. Wow, 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 wow. We read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed. Perishable, obviously meaning decaying or short-lived, but of imperishable, which is permanent forever and enduring through the living and enduring word of God. So we are born of an incorruptible, which is destroyable, loyal, reliable seed that the, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we come from that seed when we are born again as new believers. When we're born of God's seed, we can also be called a regenerated person. This verse is saying that we cannot sin. Very interesting again, which is contrary to 1 John, for 1 John 1, 9, where it says that it's our duty to confess our sins and have our sins forgiven. But it's saying a regenerated, a regenerated, changed or restored person cannot continue in the course or the practice of sin. The reason being that we are born of God. But wait, you know that we sin. But when we get the Holy Spirit, we get this deposit that goes in the inside of us. And we start to get some things um, where we see, um, we see the light which is us evil. Two, we're given a prejudice in our heart that causes us to loathe and to hate sin. And we also have this spiritual pioneer, if you will, um, that breaks the force of sinful acts in our life. There's somewhat of this restraint that goes against the sinning powers in our life when we receive the Holy Spirit. There's sirens, like, whoa, go the other direction, person. Don't that way. But those who can deliberately sin do not have that. They live on green when the light is yellow, when the light is red, and they just keep on going. And they are not living in their new nature. So that is the, the distinction between the two. Then in verse 10, we, we hear about love versus hate. So we see a really great um, description of that in verse 12 about Cain. So we're going to start in 11 again. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. And anyone who does not love remains in death. And anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no more has eternal life residing in him. It's a bit intense. But in verse 12, it is said, um, Cain came from evil. He is the oldest son of the first man, Adam. And the hate that he has towards the righteous is very similar to the powers on this earth that hate Christians. This is not new. <laughs> this has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. So we should not be surprised. But Cain did not like the acceptance and the favor that Abel had, and therefore he murdered him for it. Michael Henry says this, The great serpent himself reigns as the god of this world. 
Wonder not, then, that the serpentine world hates and hisses at you who belong to that seed of a woman that is to bruise the serpent's head. So do not be surprised if the world hates you. It is to be expected, and we will bruise the serpent's head. Amen. Verse 14, loving others is the way to life. We read in the scripture, there's a clear transition that is happening. We go from death to life when we love and that and we can look at how to love others verse 15 life is eternal with Christ and living under the power of Satan is death eternal life comes to those who repent and turn from sin who call upon Jesus as Lord and understand that eternal life can only exist if the fruit of love is on the inside of us Verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We could not get eternal life if Jesus did not defeat sin and death. And that is our example of love, Christ's sacrifice. And so often we see that love is often married to the word sacrifice. They are, they are very much in always relationship together. And sacrificial living is something that we are always called to do. And John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It cost him something. And seeing that need and not offering that need is denying love towards that person. If you cannot say amen, we can say ouch, ouch, ouch. Verse 18, the writer is challenging us not to just use our tongue at times um, because it doesn't really have as much of a cost as our actions. Flattery and compliments do not make us Christians. It's sincere expressions of affection and the service or labor of love towards one another. Verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and we do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in his Believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. One who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us, which is our safeguard. So in these few last few passages, the writer is giving us the assurance. And how many of us need some assurance from our heavenly father from time to time? I know I do. And this first part of this passage, I love verse 20. Hearts that do condemn us knowing that God is always greater than our heart. And some of you this morning know that your heart can sometimes become a judge. And instead of God being the judge, your heart can accuse you, it can excuse you, it can condemn you, and it can justify you. And it's also known as our conscience. God gives us a conscience and it acts as his delegated power, but God's higher as well than your conscience and he's higher than your heart and he is superior than both of them. He knows better than your conscience knows and he is the supreme court that, that reigns each, um, each part of that. So we cannot look at what our conscience is saying um, as a proper accusation. 
For some of us who are really terrible of how we speak to ourselves, this is great news and should leave us praising God on the way out. Um, It is not, it's God that judges us and we cannot determine his decision for us, which is great. And for those of us who live an incredible blessing of verse 20, 21. Um, for, the, for hearts that don't condemn is that we have confidence before God. We can have that assurance that he accepts us now. But these, um, so if you're someone who does whatever you want, these are, these are not for you. <laughs> but these are for those of us who actually love God and want to do the right thing by him, that he promises those things. And so we're almost done. Obedience to what God said, for what God asks, asks us to asks of us, gives us confidence before him. So you and I should be prepared uh, to be blessed and that God wants to hear us, which is great. Verse 23, we're called to believe in the son Jesus and to love one another as he has commanded us. And this is the mandate of our lives and it will never, ever change. Lastly, following God's command God lives in us, and we live in him, and we have communion together, relationship, and unity. And the evidence of the Holy Spirit allows us to know and be assured of this relationship. Just as Father, the Son, and the Spirit live together and love each other, this is what we are invited to and what the, what the writer of this book wants us to understand and get. All right. May God assure you this morning. So that is all that I have. You'll see on the screen... Um, ways that we're going to chat together uh, for our next section. So what occurred to you from this passage? What is a question that it prompted? And what is one thing that you can do going forward? For those of you who feel comfortable chatting with humans, you may do that. Or if you want to grab your pen and write it down in your journal, happy with that too. And then Daz will come. Good morning. Hey, we're about to go and speak topically. Uh, I just, Mike and I were just speaking and... um, there were some confusing passages, last, points last week and this week, and I'd love to do it in the continue the conversation with Bron, but Mike's got to do kids' church. So I said, hey, could you come and just share this thought? It'll help you with context as you're looking at passages like, do not sin. Thanks, Mike. Great, thank you. There's just a couple of passages in 1 John which don't make sense until you understand the historical context. Every letter in the Bible is usually written to address a problem. The particular problems in 1, 2 and 3 John were Gnostic or false teachers which come up, prophets come up in chapter 4. And Gnosticism dealt with two two things, it dealt with dualism. And in uh, Greek dualism there was the idea that the spirit and the body was separate. So these dualist preachers came in and they said if your spirit's redeemed it doesn't matter what you do in the body. That's why in verse 6 today, it says those who are in Christ no longer sin. And what it's referring to is no longer deliberately sin based on this, what these false teachers were teaching. Last week it was saying, therefore, you have no, you have no need of anyone to teach you, which doesn't make sense. Sorry, that's my children's church alarm. Um, you have no need of anyone to teach you. It's because it's referring to these Gnostics who are saying, unless you get this special knowledge that we've got for you, you'll never fully understand what it means to be redeemed. And you can sin and it doesn't count anymore. So in context, they make perfect sense. In chapter 4, you'll hear the uh, false teachers saying, uh, denying that Jesus was, was, was God. They were denying the Christ, that he was the Messiah. That was because of a philosophy which was in at that time, because 1 John's written right at the end. Okay, 1, 2, and 3 John in the book of John are written up around 80, 90 AD. So the churches, all these philosophies and worldviews are starting to come in. So docetism was that 
Jesus wasn't actually God, he was a prophet. The Spirit came on him when he was baptized, and the Spirit left him just before he died. And so he was still actually a man. Uh, there's another, called, another thing called, uh, so that, sorry, that was Serinthianism. What am I talking about? That's Serinthianism. Docetism is the Greek word seems like. It just seemed like he was God because the Spirit of God was working through him. And so when you understand the problems that John was dealing with, those verses, you don't need anyone to teach you, and anyone who's in Christ no longer sins. They make perfect sense when you understand the problem he was dealing with. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. I just feel like Mike stole exactly what I was going to say. And anyway, I'm going to dumb it down for you now. Hey, just before we um, get my clock back, um, but just before we begin, I want to take 60 seconds and just mention uh, many of you would be aware that uh, Asher Stace, Joan Lisa's youngest boy, just a, just a baby, passed away uh, just over a week ago. His funeral was on Monday. And you can understand the pain and grief, or maybe we can't even understand the pain and grief of that. I do just want to mention it for, for this reason. Um, you know, we talk about church being a people that act like family. Thanks, sweetie. And feel like home. Um, and what an incredible response our church had. Uh, the way people uh, rallied and turned up. Our, our staff did a great job, but way more than that were, you know, there were people from every one of our churches there. Um, even the guys from the coast linked in to support them in their grief in the only way they could. Uh, I noticed that um, Lisa's Connect group was there um, really and have been right through this process. And it just reminded me again that the church of Jesus is awesome. That the church, whatever our faults, the church gets a lot right. The church and the heart that has been transformed by Jesus gets a lot right. The place was overflowing with people from all of those locations. And um, the output in the GoFundMe page since has been uh, positive and overwhelming for them. It's something they didn't ask for, initiated by someone else. Um, and I just think it says so much about the church of Jesus. I think more than anything, if you were there or saw anything, Joe and Lee showed all of us the profound difference a life makes when it's built unshakably on the promises of God. When I was in that room, people, when they left on Sunday, uh, Monday, say, I know I shouldn't say this, Darren, but I was inspired. How do you get inspired in a moment like that? Well, by a young couple who in the midst of pain I really cannot fathom, stake everything on the promises of God. And it's so powerful. We're reminded today of the power of the word of God and the wonder that is his church in all its beautiful imperfection. So just wanted to mention it today. Let me pray. Why don't you stand because you've been sitting. We'll just stand. We're going to get right on into this. Heavenly Father, thank you today for everybody in the room. Thank you for uh, the teaching that Linnea brought. Lord, we thank you for the word. It's so rich and deep and full of life. Lord, as we come to this now, pray uh, you'd lead us by your spirit. You'd take these words and do something in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Right? Comfy? There you are. When you think of someone 
who lives a lavish lifestyle. What, who do you think of and what do you think of? Maybe you think of the Kardashians. I'm not sure. Who do you, when you think lavish, um, uh, I, I love the movie series The Hunger Games. And I know that that's a polarising um, movie for people, but, but, but there are many scenes where in what they call the capital, which is meant to be an indictment on you and I, by the way, uh, in the capital, it is lavish beyond, it's indulgent, it's extreme. And that's what I think of, those scenes in the capital in The Hunger Games. When you think of lavish, what, who do you think of and what do you think of? Lavish means to be generous, extravagant, open-ended, elaborate, great abundance, luxuriant, lavish. I want you to hold that thought. And hopefully you're going to see these images of my children. And hold that, lavish. Am I going to see images of my children? One of my children is in there, so she might not want to. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, just should mention that this here is, I think it's Bella's third, fourth birthday. And um, we forgot to tell people not to bring gifts. Hold Bella, she could invite whoever she liked. So Bella invited at that time what was our whole church. And so I think she got like 40 gifts. So she was four years old. It was the most embarrassing day of ever. But, but when I see those images of my kids, when I see little Katie squinting away over there, my heart just swells. Even now, my heart swells. The other day when I was looking for something else and I spotted these, my heart just began to swell with love for my kids, my kids. And I loved my kids in the moment they breathed breath. Isn't that awesome? They didn't do anything. They hadn't said anything. In fact, they may be easier to love in the moment they breathe breath, but, but I love my kids. It was an instant love. It, it, it is an unconditional love. I think I only began to just get a glimpse of God's love when I had children. It's unconditional, it's spontaneous. I want to say yes to my kids. I always want to say yes to my kids. I say no because I know it's the right thing to do uh, at times. It's in their best interest. But I want to say yes. In fact, if Bron and I are away and our kids want to stay up late, guess who gets the text? Me. If Bron's away and our kids want to go on tech, which we have some rules around tech, guess who they text? Me. I want to say yes to my kids. So I need to take those two thoughts, lavish, love kids, or kid loves, and listen to this from 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is as it does not know Him. I want us to think about this today. See what great love... The Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God loves us lavishly. How does that fit with your thinking on God? It's, it's not cold. It's not sterile. I'm not sure how we end up in that space. I've certainly lived in that space. It's not out of obligation. It's from the heart. It's instant. You just have to breathe a breath. In fact, before you and I breathed a breath, his love was towards us. It's unconditional. <laughs> it's incredible. Spontaneous. I've written here, it, it's an ever springing up, never runs dry well of love. Now, if you're married, you know that sometimes you have to choose love. One time in 2003, for the briefest moment of times, Bronnie had to choose to love. It didn't, didn't spontaneously well up. But with, with my children, I can say, honestly, sure, you get disappointed and all that kind of thing. They're, they're, they're human. But the reality is, Love just wells up. 
it's spontaneous. It's a, like a well that never runs dry regardless of what's going on. And that's how God is. It's instant. It's unconditional. It's spontaneous. It's from the heart. It's got your back. It's got our future. It's love that's lavish. It's extravagant. It's elaborate. It's luxuriant. It's generous. So have you got your head around that? Has it captured your heart yet? I can say I'm not fully there yet. In fact, there's great hope because the Bible says the same, but, but in that direction, when you think of God, have you got your head around that? Has it captured your heart yet? Because have you ever been with anyone close to you and you're not sure if you're loved? Have you ever been in doubt? Doesn't it, doesn't it change things? Creates questions. You're not sure about motives. You're not sure about agenda. Are they with me today? Are they against me today? And then there's the opposite. There's when you just absolutely know you're loved. I know to the core of my being that my wife loves me. Uh, is it perfected? No, of course not. But Bron loves me. At the end of the day, when Bron tells me something, when she gives me advice, I know that the motive is almost certainly me. I'm sure there are exceptions when it's blurred because of, you know, stuff. But essentially, I know the heart behind it. If there's correction, I know the heart behind it. If there's encouragement, I know the heart behind it. If there's something I need to know, I know the heart behind it, you know, and because of love. And when, when you know you're loved, it changes everything. And when you don't, it's everything as well. So have you got your head around it? Has it captured your heart yet? Here's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in him. Listen to this. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvellous love. And may you have the power to understand, God's, uh, as God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love really is. May you experience the love of Christ, though, though it is so great, you will never fully understand it. Uh, that's, that's the prayer of, the, we think, the Apostle Paul. He says, hey, may, may God's love go deep in you. May you grasp it. Some of its breadth and depth and height and width. And may you experience the love of Christ. And so my prayer today is leading into this message was simply this, that we might leave with an even better grasp on how lavishly loved by God we are, that we might live it and that we, sorry, let me read it to you again, that we might leave here with an even better grasp on how lavishly loved we are and that we would truly live out of that. So three things, how to know about how lavishly loved we are and its power to change the way we live in love. Uh, the first is this. Number one is the porch light is on. This is a tragic attempt at a porch light at the last moment. The porch light is on. Uh, you, you're probably familiar, or many of you will, some of you won't be familiar with Luke, uh, sorry, with Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And the Bible talks about a story called the prodigal son and how the man has two sons and, and one son asks for his inheritance. He goes, he squanders it in um, wild living, the Bible says. I'll leave you to out what that looks like. And in the end, he comes to an end of himself and ends up living on the street of the destitute, essentially. And when the son comes to his senses, the Bible says that exactly. When the son comes to his senses... He says to himself, in a moment of clarity, I'm going to go home and ask my dad if I can be one of his servants. The dad was wealthy. And so he heads for home. And as he heads for home, 
Jesus tells the parable of the Father and the Son representing God the Father and us. He says, as he heads for home, the Father saw him a long way off. And when the Father saw his Son a long way off, he ran towards him. Now I'm told that in Jewish culture, you don't run when you're a father. It's undignified. And yet Jesus very deliberately says that the Father, in the moment that he sees on, right on the horizon, he, he runs towards him. He doesn't wait. The son has wasted his life and wasted his wealth and damaged the father's name maybe in all the midst of it. And yet in the moment that the father who represents our heavenly father sees his son who represents us off in the distance, the Bible says that he runs towards his son. And I love this idea because it reminds me that the porch light is on, that it never goes off. That when the father goes to sleep at night, the porch light's on in the hope that his son will come home. So great is the love of the Father despite what the Son has done and where the Son has been and maybe what the Son has said and all the Son has wasted. We know that the porch light is on. And let me take a moment and talk about the other Son because the faithful Son, we find out later, he gets out of sorts when the Father celebrates the Son that's come home. And that's interesting for us because he represents the insider he represents the person who's already at home, already in the father's house. But he so didn't get the lavish love of the father that when he, he spent his whole life to that point, missing out on all that God had, all that the father had for him. He saw the work, he saw the labor, he saw the service, but he missed the fact of the lavish love that the father had for him. Have you got your head around that? Captured your heart yet? Back to the porch light at the father's house. It's a reminder to us that we're in his heart, not his mind. That wherever we're up to, his heart breaks for us. His heart is, is with us. And I don't know. I don't know if anyone's ever given up on you, but what we do know for sure is that God won't. I, know that, I don't know if anyone's ever turned their back on you, but what we know for sure is God won't. Second hardest memory I have in my life is being 17 years old. I was at the Qantas... Um, departures at Sydney Domestic Airport and uh, my dad was leaving to go move to another city. I live with my dad, I work with my dad, I was about to be destitute without my dad and my dad jumped on a plane and as a 17 year old boy I remember standing there feeling as alone in the world as a boy can be and then I went back to my life and today you know maybe you've felt like that, maybe you feel like that but the porch light's always on. The Father's always got the porch light on. He's never going to leave you on your own. He's never turned his back. He's never given up. It doesn't matter where we go, what we've done, where we feel we're at right now, that God in his grace and his kindness and his lavish love is right there with you. He's not giving up on you. He's never left you. He'll be there whatever's going on. When people give up, people gossip. When people do all sorts of things, you know, there's a famous preacher in the world right now and there's lots of gossip about him because he's gotten it wrong. And I don't know where it's at for him, but I know this. I know the porch light's on. 
I know the Father's porch light's on and he's not extending judgment and he's not expending wrath. He's going, hey, I want you to know the light's on. It's not going out. Doesn't matter what they say about you. Doesn't matter what they gossip about you. Doesn't matter what the rumor mill says or anybody else says. The moment you head for home, I want you to know the porch light is on and I'll see you on the horizon and I'll run to you in that moment. No matter what they say or think, I'll be there. He's a God who leaves the porch light on as we run towards him. If you deny him, the porch light's on. If you reject him, the the porch light is on. In the darkest night, the porch light is on. In the hour, long hour of the winter of the soul, the porch light is on. It's always on. It's never going. The Father is there. His love is lavish. And then there's this, number two, there's a seat at the table. There's a seat at the table. It says, but the Father said to his servant, quick, Bring the best robe out to him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. God's lavish loves mean there is prepared for us a seat at table. It's got our name on it. We are in the family. He calls us his own. He takes care of his own. How good is God? We're reminded today that there's a seat at the table. Not only does he restore the son, but he sits him in the place of honour at the father's table. He brings sandals for his feet, which is lost on us. He brings the signet ring, which represents the family that he was from. So when he walked down the street, that people would know that this is the son of the father. He has all the rights and privileges and esteem and regard and honour as the father. He carries the authority of the father of the house. And we're reminded today that when we turn back to him, the lavish love of our God extended to us says, you are loved, you're at the table, everything that is mine is yours. The privileges, the responsibility, the promises and everything that goes with us, with it. And then finally today, number three, obviously, is the inheritance. Not only has the father lavished love on us that the porch light's on, that there's a seat at the table, but also... 1 John multiple times talks about the eternal promise of a loving God towards us, his people. And it's good for us to be reminded today as we wrap that there is the eternal love and the eternal promise of our God. This isn't our home. This isn't all there is. We can only understand what unfolds in life in light of eternity. You know, even young Ashes, the reality is that Ashes stays has been promoted to eternity. That is a reality. We don't like it, but we have to see it in the light of what it is that he is now in the presence of Jesus. And we are headed home. The Father has prepared the inheritance. We're on our way. He's coming for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.